Just a short reflection for you this morning, um, since we have our congregational meeting coming up in a few minutes. There are some things that we learn through contemplation and prayer and study. And there are some things that we learn through exertion and struggle. I'm a hiker. I like to hike. I'm not like super intense about it, but I love it. It's part of my life. It's part of what keeps me as healthy as I am. I'm not going to say really healthy. But it's, it's a thing that I do. And I have found an interesting thing about myself. That there are times when there's something troubling me, within me. And I may not know what it is until I have walked a couple miles. It's a strange thing, but it continues to repeat. Mile one or mile two, I get in and realize, here's what it is. And it can come up as a prayer. God teaches us, I think, in moments of rest and reflection. But he also teaches us at times when we rise up and continue to work in the way in which we are called. This story of Jacob wrestling with a man at night is a profound, stirring, opaque passage. And I'm not going to say everything that could be said. But I want to think with you for just a minute about this, this man. This man, Jacob. He's the grandson of Abraham, the great father to whom were given the promises that God had called a people for himself and was going to bless this family and through this family to bless the entire creation. And Jacob is a man who knows this promise, who has had it passed down to him. In fact, he did a lot of work to try to steal the blessing that would make sure that the promise would pass to him and to his family. He hasn't forgotten it. He's rehearsed it, in fact, earlier in the, the we, we read a portion of the chapter today. A portion that we didn't read is Jacob's prayer. That God would, in fact, make good on this promise to him. That he would, in fact, bless his family. That he would keep him safe. And it's a thing that Jacob needs because he has been, I'm tempted to say he's been on a hike, but that's not really, he's been wandering, he's been sojourning in a different land, fleeing from his brother Esau from whom he stole the blessing. And all through this long wandering, God has met him in strange ways in the night. This nighttime wrestling match is not his first time or his second time meeting the Lord in the darkness. He has this dream where he sees a ladder coming down from heaven. And he says, ah, surely this is the house of God. And God meets him another time, strange ways, just a very brief encounter earlier in the chapter. An angel comes to him in the middle of the night. The Lord speaks to him in this land far away and says, go back home. It's time for you to return where you were to face your past in a way. And so you heard the story read. He goes back to meet Esau, his brother, who might not be happy that Jacob took everything that was coming to him. And in fact, Jacob gets the news that there are 400 men coming with Esau, which scares him out of his mind. And so he does what any of you would do if you had two wives and extra people and a whole bunch of extra goats and whatnot. He sends, he sends gifts along to Esau to say, oh, look, look, I just sent you this nice big present. And since that hasn't worked, he divides everybody up in the middle of the night, sends them off, and he's trying to save as much of his skin as he can. And he is left alone. And you could imagine how somebody with all of this going on in their life might feel at this place. And the Lord comes to him and does not say, 
Peace, my son, I'm with you. He says, buckle up! And he grabs him. And for the whole night, until the sun rises, they are at it. This is probably not what he wanted in the moment. Yikes! That's kind of how I feel about it. So there he is. What does he do? What is Jacob's response to this? Angela Duckworth, in the book that some of you have read, uh, has some stuff to say about, the social psychologist has some stuff to say about grit, about this habit of perseverance with passion, a kind of focus that gives fixity to your purpose in life that is, in fact, a great measure for people's success and how they endure. Jacob holds on to the Lord. That's about all that happens. He holds on until his hip gets dislocated. He has, like, a long way to go. He's not even at anywhere that's home. He doesn't have anybody. He's not there next to his medical, preferred provider for medical insurance. He's, he's in the desert. His hip is dislocated, and he's still holding on to the Lord in this bizarre wrestling match in the middle of the night. And the angel, or the Lord God, or maybe it's the Lord Christ in some sort of Christophany in the Old Testament. He is both man and Jacob comes to see God. But in any case, the one who is grabbing says, look, we got to finish this. Let me go. And Jacob remarkably says this, I won't go, I won't let you go until you bless me. Which sounds awfully pious, but if you put this alongside a number of ancient stories that are similar to this, it's a little bit more like Aladdin and the genie. A little bit. He's got, he's got the deity in his grip. And if he can get the deity to do what he wants, he might get a blessing out of it. He might, in fact, in a second, he's going to ask, what is your name? There's a measure of control over someone if you know their name in the ancient world. And the Lord won't tell him. In fact, it is very unlike these other stories because the Lord is the one who really does the question asking and who, in fact, gets the victory. He speaks to Jacob and says, what is your name. And this is where this story becomes even more interesting, is that Jacob has to confess who he really is. In the midst of everything that's going on that was hard before the Lord came to him as an opponent, he has to say, my name is Jacob. That name that was given to him when he was born and usurped his brother. He has to say, my name is trickster and cheater and usurper. And then the Lord has something more to say to him. That is not your name. You will not be called that. You will no longer live by trickery. You're going to be called Israel. You have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. He gives him a new name. And there just briefly, there are three things that are happening in this name, I think. Um, there is, and, and this is... I mean, you can think about this. Tell me what you think afterwards. I think there's a recognition here of Jacob. He, in fact, has striven with God. He has been holding on all night. And he has a dislocated hip. And he's still holding on. I would have let go at that point. But he's also striven in hard years with Laban, his father-in-law. He's been on the run for a long time. He has strived. And the Lord has seen him. And there's a picture here of God's people, Israel, that are going to have a hard life and yet not give up on God's covenant. 
There's a recognition. There's a reframing, too, of Jacob's purpose. He is not going to live in trickery anymore. He is going to live faithfully as the one who is carrying on the covenant of God. And God reaffirms his promise to him. He's going to be with him. And so he goes. He doesn't find out the name of the one who did this to him, but he finds out his own name. He has met God or been met by this God-man. And in this encounter has been reshaped to what he is going to be. And he limps. He's not able to walk normally after this. He's wounded. And yet he is maybe more himself than he, is going, than he has been in the past. Perhaps it is also so with us as we encounter the God-man. Amen.